the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as most of you know, what we do every day at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word is take your phone calls and answer Bible questions or life questions or pretty much anything that you've got on your heart and mind. I'll do the best that I can to uh, give you God's answer from His Word. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's our primary number. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. That's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Um, we've got a bunch of questions that have been sent in, but we prefer your live calls. Uh, you can also send questions in using our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. And um, just hit call now. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer, and you can use the hands-free feature on your phone. One more time for our main number. It's 340-9585. i got to tell you how much I love God. Now, ladies, this is really for you. But um, uh, last night's Sweet Summer Devotion, uh, Yvette Aguilar was our our guest. She's not really a guest. She lives here, actually, but, but she's uh, she was our speaker last night. Um, and she opened her time by saying uh, in her prayer that she wanted um, women and little girls who have been hurt and abused to be comforted, to find peace because of her testimony. You know, as a pastor, you, you're around people all the time. You see God moving in people's lives. And every once in a while, you're reminded how messed up this world is and how much pain people have been through. And listening to a vet, I realized um, how much pain that there's been in her life. And when you realize that, the next thing you know is that that you're, you're rejoicing because God is so good. Uh, I've known Yvette for probably four years now since she started coming to church and gave her heart to Jesus. Um, and you'd never know uh, what she's been through, where she's come from. I had little hints of it now and then, but uh, you'd never know. That's the beauty of the Sweet Summer Devotion series. Um, you, you get to see works in process, but but people who have come through the worst of all possible circumstances and are now standing firm with Jesus Christ. So ladies, um, if you didn't watch last night, uh, go to calvarysa.com, go to the Sweet Summer Devotions, just scroll down till you get there, and then listen to uh, Yvette Aguilar from last night. I promise you'll be blessed. And once again, Paula told me the Q&A was amazing uh, that, that follows the, the presentation. Um, 
event, I don't think you're a daily listener to the show, but if you're listening, thank you very, very much for sharing your heart, for being so honest. We could tell how difficult that was for you. Uh, at the same time, uh, I could almost sense a great sigh of relief from a whole bunch of ladies who've been through really horrible things. And now they have hope. And that's what the Sweet Summer Devotion series is all about. So go calvarysa.com and listen. You will be blessed abundantly so. Let me go to questions that have been sent in to me. Uh, Cheryl says, uh, God gives us the desires of our heart. How does that interact when our desires have family members saved and they aren't getting saved? Um, Cheryl, uh, actually the psalmist says that if you delight yourself in the Lord, God gives you the, the, the desires of your heart. Um, but the prerequisite there is delighting yourself in God. Now, to delight in God, and I, I want to make this easy to follow, Cheryl, to delight in God is to delight in doing His will, by walking in His will. And when you're walking in the will of God, when you're walking with Jesus, the desires that come into your heart are desires that God has placed there. This isn't a blanket promise that if I want a new Cadillac, I'm going to get it, or if I want a new house, I'm going to get it, or if I want my son or my daughter to get saved, that they're going to get saved. The one thing that we have to remember is God will never override the free will of a human being. God honors the choices we make in life. He honors those choices when we die. And we all want our families to be saved. That's the desire of our heart. It's the desire of God's heart. But here's one place where the will of God doesn't ensure an affirmative answer to our prayer, only because the person that we are praying for has to make a decision of their own free will to follow God. And so you can't make that choice for your family, for your loved ones. Um, they have to make it for themselves. Um, they've got to admit that they're a sinner. They've got to find their need for Jesus. And uh, too often, Cheryl, we, we just want God to sort of wave a magic wand and do a miracle and save all our families. Even then, our motives are not very pure. Now, I want, I've got an unsaved son, unsaved daughter-in-law. I love him with all my heart. Um, but my motive for them getting into heaven can't be that I don't want the pain personally of knowing that they're not going to be there. My pain can't be the motive. God's glory. Um, the family of Christ being added to. The work of God being made manifest. So those are the things that we have to remember. God won't force himself on any of us. So here's what you do, Cheryl. You pray for your unsaved family members as you have been doing. You walk with Jesus so closely that they can see your light coming from inside. And then when their life begins to fall apart, they're going to know that you know Jesus the Jesus they've only heard about, but you actually know him. And a lot of times when they get desperate enough, that's when our prayers get answered. I was, um, Cheryl, this weekend, we had a uh, pastor's discipleship class. It's a class here we do every other Saturday if, as long as uh, I'm in town. Um, um, all of my pastors and all of my elders and all of our church leaders, the pastors that we've sent out to plant churches, all of them have come from that class, and we have their, the, the men and the, their wives in the class. Now we've got some single women and some single men in, in the class as well. And um, one of the things that we were talking about is this very issue of being right representatives of Jesus Christ so that the world can see. The way to do that is be able to pray like Jesus prayed, Thy will, not my will, be done. So yes, it's true, God gives us the desires of our heart, but he will not step on someone else's free will to do it. Cheryl, I hope that made sense to you. Thanks for the question. Here is a question from Arnold. Arnold says, Pastor Ron, I think you've said Jews 
are not going to go to heaven unless they become Christians, but they're God's chosen people, so why don't they automatically go to heaven? Well, Arnold, not, not just Jews are not going to go to heaven unless they become Christians. Nobody's going to go to heaven unless they become a Christian. Jesus said, unless a, a man be born again, he was speaking to a Jew, speaking to Nicodemus. And then he, he sort of backed it up by saying, uh, you of all people should not be surprised that I said you must be born again. So yes, Jews nationally are God's chosen people. God chose Israel and made them his own. His purpose, of course, would be to give them the law, but the purpose of giving the law was that they would reflect the holy character of God. That didn't happen. So just by simple virtue of being Jewish doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven because they still have the issue of sin. And unless your sins are wiped away, covered by the blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus, nobody's going to get to heaven. I want you to think about something, Arnold, for a moment. Um, Most of our faith heroes from the early church, nearly all of them, in fact, through the gospel accounts and in the book of Acts, or at least well into the book of Acts, were, were all Jews. They didn't become Jews who were counting on the Judaism or the law to get to heaven. They became Jews who were set free from the condemnation of the law. The Apostle Paul didn't continue being a Jew. He became a Christian. Peter and the others, they became Christians. And individually, the only way any person's going to get to heaven, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And he means that. Now, does that mean that Israel isn't going to be saved? Well, we know that two-thirds of them are going to be, I'm sorry, one-third of them are going to be saved. When Jesus comes back, they're going to recognize their Messiah. Where did you get those wounds? Jesus is going to say, I got these wounds in the house of my friends. And they're going to realize that they missed out. They missed out. I was listening to an interview uh, on the radio yesterday with um, a a well-known talk show host who is a Jew, a practicing Jew. And he was talking with a Christian. And the Christian asked him a question, said, well, when your Messiah comes, this is your religion believes the Messiah will come. When he comes, what's the first question you're going to ask him? And the Jew said, uh, I think I'll ask him, have you been here before? You see, instinctively, it's something that they know. Paul says their hearts are covered with a veil. That veil's only removed when they turn to Christ. One of the things, Arnold, that we ought to be praying for daily is that that veil would be removed from the hearts of our brothers if, if, as Paul writes, our coming to faith in Christ is glorious. How much more so when those who are the natural vine come to believe in Jesus, their Messiah? Do they stay Jews? No, they become born-again Christians. Are they bound by the law? No, because they've been set free from the law. Do they have to work their way into heaven by doing good things? No. Because the one good thing has already been done. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. You know, Arnold, one comment uh, further that I'll make, and then I'll go on to another question, is that um, when you're talking to Jews, um, and you're sharing Christ with them, you see that veil is there, it's not moving Ask him the question, what do you do for sins? The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, no forgiveness of sins. So what do you do for sins? And they'll tell you about the Day of Atonement and how they reflect on their sins and figuratively throw them in the deepest, darkest ocean. Their most holy day is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And then you can say, but without the shedding of blood. And then just tell you, look, there's no temples, there's no sacrifices. God's changed. And yet the scriptures say God doesn't change. 
And then we give the opportunity, well, here's the shed blood that can cover your sins. And, and just give them something to think about and pray for. But one of the worst approaches that we can take, Arnold, is that because they're God's chosen people, they don't need to go to heaven. Read the first five verses, four verses, really, of Romans chapter 9, when Paul says, look, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, the Holy Spirit convicts it. There's that three-tiered affirmation there. This is it's such a, an unbelievable thing he's going to say. He goes on to say that, that I'd give my place in heaven if only my brothers, the Jews, would believe. If Jews go to heaven without believing, why would Paul write such a thing? So Arnold, hope that helps. Here's a question that's come in from Jack. He says, what references do you recommend for the reliability of the Bible? Jack, there's so many of them. Uh, I actually have a, a, a book that, um, um, it, it's, it's a, a, a difficult one. It's not an easy read, uh, but it's called uh, The Evidence That Demands a Verdict. In fact, there's several new editions. You get the newest edition by Josh McDowell. Um, he has a whole section in that about uh, um, our Bible, how we got it, how we know that it's true. Um, if that's a little bit um, too difficult, too big for you, Jack, uh, then there is a book uh, called uh, The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable? by my favorite commentator of all time, a man named F.F. F. Bruce, Frank Frank, F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, uh, he is with the Lord now, and he is, uh, uh, in in my view, um, the single commentator who's had the biggest impact in my life. Uh, he's written a book, uh, the, the authoritative work on the Apostle Paul called The Heart of the Apostle Set Free. Um, just anything that you can get your hands on by F.F. Bruce is really, really worth reading. There's great bibliography, and you can do all of the chasing of that uh, of, of the things that he's commenting on uh, using the bibliog- bibliography. So that is a paperback. It's not a huge book, but it is a good one. Uh, there is another one by a man named Lee Strobel, who is uh, um, active currently, alive and serving Jesus, called The Case for the Bible. Uh, and then if you want just sort of a primer, um, uh, a little book, uh, there's one by a guy named Paul Little, L-Y-T-T-L-E, uh, and it's uh, Know What You Believe and Know Why You Believe, two little paperbacks, and those books help. So those are some really, really good ones. Uh, Jack, a good place to get you started. But F.F. Uh, F. Bruce uh, would be the, the sort of the trump card there. Um, you can find a lot of information. Good question, Jack. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I've noticed a, a pattern. We get calls on Monday. We get very few calls on Tuesdays. And I don't know what the difference is. But uh, we'd love your live calls at 340-9585. Uh, Dwayne says, if someone dies, when do they get their new body? Dwayne, there is um uh, disagreement uh, over this. Now, instantly, when we die, we go in the presence of the Lord. Uh, some would say that we go in the present, uh, presence of the Lord, the real us, the spirit that inhabits these flesh and blood bodies, goes immediately into the presence of the Lord, uh, and then we get our, our resurrected physical body at the rapture of the church. Now, uh, I don't believe that, Dwayne. I, I don't. I think that when we go into the presence of the Lord... We get our heavenly physical body. And I believe we get it because it's the only way we can live. Spirits, uh, evil spirits don't like to be disembodied. Why would we expect that we would be disembodied spirits? So uh, I think, and, and uh, I, I'm very strongly opinionated on this. I mean, I think when we die, we go in the presence of the Lord, we're instantly ushered into his presence, and we step right into that mansion that Jesus said has already been prepared. Now, you know when he said that in my father's house are many mansions. King James uses the word mansion, I think, unfortunately, but many rooms. Um, that room, that's that's a mansion compared to these earthly bodies. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about 
our, our, our glorified, resurrected physical body. John says, we don't know what we will be, but we know that we will be like he is in body. So uh, it's my position, Dwayne, that, that the moment we die and, and instantly we're in the presence of the Lord, to be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus. Um, that's when we get our new body. And uh, I, again, I feel very, very strongly about that. Uh, yet I have to be honest and say that there are um, real believers who believe that, that uh, at the resurrection uh, we get um, our new bodies. So um, those are the two thoughts. Study your Bible and come to your own conclusion. Steve asks, Pastor on in Acts 19, Paul encounters some believers who didn't have the Holy Spirit. Are there still believers who don't have the Holy Spirit? Now, Steve, what I want you to do is read more closely in Acts chapter 19. Because in Acts chapter 19, it doesn't say Paul found some believers. It says he found some disciples. Difference in the word is important. This is why studying to show yourself approved matters so much. Um, If they were believers and didn't have the Holy Spirit, then a whole lot of what Paul said, even what Jesus said, if you have not the Spirit, you you have none of me. Um, it, it simply doesn't make sense. What he found was disciples. Now, we automatically equate the word disciple with believer, but that's not what it meant in that context. In a Jewish construct, uh, Steve, um, disciples were, 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 were men who attached themselves to a rabbi attached themselves to a follower uh, or as a follower of a, of a particular rabbi. And they would say, I'm a, I'm a disciple of, of Gamaliel or I'm a, uh, Paul. We know Saul of Tarsus was a, a, a disciple of Gamaliel uh, or of Hillel or some of the others. When you see Jesus talking to his disciples, we have to read very carefully because there's times when he's talking to his 12 and other times when he's talking to the group of people that are following him. So the fact that they're referred to in Ephesus as, or they were from Ephesus as disciples doesn't mean they were believers. And in fact, Steve, uh, a little bit later, um, um, Paul asks him, do you, do you, if you, he, he notices obviously that they're missing something. I says, um, um, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? They said, we don't know that there's anything about the Holy Spirit. And then the question is asked, well, what baptism were you baptized? And they said, John's baptism. That would be John the Baptist, which means, Steve, they were disciples of John the Baptist. Now, they were zealous, and God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And this encounter with the Apostle Paul was that reward. God was honoring their searching hearts, but they were not believers. The moment we become a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a seal, Ephesians chapter 1 says, a seal guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. So no spirit, no believers. In that particular case, they were not Christians. They were followers of John the Baptist. Imagine how thrilled they were when Paul told them, oh, here's what John was pointing to. And by the way, Jesus has already been here. He was crucified and risen from the dead. And so that's when they were born again. So Steve, good question. Thank you very much. We need to really take take notice of the words in our Bibles to make sure that we're reading it correctly. Here's a question from Daniel. He says, I have a question about whether we have to get baptized to be saved. Daniel, I'm going to tell you what I told the people at our baptism just this past Sunday. I said, we don't have to get baptized. We get to be baptized. And as long as we get to be baptized, and Jesus said it's something we ought to do, then it's something that we really ought to do to bring honor and glory to him. Now, baptism, understanding this, baptism doesn't save you. We don't get baptized to get saved. We get baptized because we are saved. And baptism is our public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. I was able with the, some of the kids and 
some of the, the, the older teens and, and some of the, the, even a couple of the adults who I know have been through really hard things, I was able to tell them as I was getting ready to dunk them into the water, I tell them, you know, the angels in heaven are looking out over the edge of time and space and they're ready to explode in rejoicing because we're going to bury the old you and a new you is going to be born again. And then nothing in your past has to ever influence you or impact you again. You are free from the old you. You're free from the people who've hurt you. I was able to tell some of the young girls. And they were getting baptized because they were saved. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. In other words, if we publicly declare our faith, then we can await that great introduction when Jesus said, Father, let me introduce you to, and then he'll tell them your new name. That's what baptism is all about. Not to get saved, but because we are saved. Daniel, thank you for calling. Thank you for sending the question in. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. Uh, I'd love your calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. My producer just told me two bits of information that I think are worth talking about. The first is that today is David Robinson's birthday, a Hall of Famer, San Antonio Spur, a wonderful, wonderful man and a born-again Christian who is unashamed of his faith. Happy birthday, David Robinson. And then, not that David Robinson's not great, but even better. Today is National Root Beer Float Day. Uh, boy, that's my wheelhouse. I love root beer floats. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for our, the last the 30 minutes of our program today. If you have any question or comments at all, here is a question from Miguel. He wants to know, how can we be more tolerant as Christians so people will see that we have the love of Jesus? Now, Miguel, I have to sort of read the intent of your question um, because it, you're not really specific, but it, it, it seems to me as though you're saying that in order to be loving and to show the love of Jesus, that we need, we need to be more tolerant of other people. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that tolerance doesn't get anybody into heaven. When we see somebody who is in sin, let me just kind of, uh, here's a scenario for you. Miguel, if you had a daughter and she was having sex with somebody she wasn't married to, if she was going to move in to a house or an apartment with that man, how tolerant would you be? As a father who loves Jesus, you you couldn't say, well, you know, I want to be tolerant so you'll see the love of Jesus. Uh, You'd be permitting your daughter to go into sin. Now, when they're adults, we can't stop them. At the same time, we're the ones who are called by God to take a stand for, for, for right and wrong. And it would be your duty as a dad to tell her, look, I love you. You know I love you. And because I love you, You can't do this. You were raised to honor Christ. You understand that you're to save your body for the man that you marry. That God sees this as sin. And the Bible says people who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now see, tolerance would give her permission to go to hell without you even putting up a fight. Well, the same thing is true. And I know you're talking about um, the gay community, maybe... Uh, some of the other issues around. Um, There's nowhere in the Bible we're told to be tolerant. We're to be loving. And Miguel, the most loving thing that we can do, the most loving thing that we can do to somebody who's living a lifestyle that indicates they have no relationship at all with God through Jesus Christ, the most loving thing we can do is tell them about Jesus. 
and tell them why they're separated from him. Sin separates us from God and you're living in sin. So this isn't a, well, I want to, I want to show them I love them, so I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be, I'm going to accept them the way they are. You should be kind to everybody, but remember, kindness is defined rightly by God, not by the culture that we live in. If you really care for people, you need to tell them about Jesus. Somebody says, I'm going to do this. You say, that's a sin. The Bible says it is. Jesus will, will rescue from that sin. Jesus will deliver you from that sin. So Miguel, if that's what you mean, by how can we be more tolerant, or as though we need to be more tolerant, then what people would see is that we, we really don't have the love of Jesus. Remember, loving people is not accepting them or what they do. Loving them is telling the truth. I tell people a lot, Miguel, that I can't imagine heaven without them. And that, that at least gives them sort of a look into my heart instead of just blasting them for sin. I, I think that's an inappropriate way for Christians to respond either. You know, the turn or burn uh, evangelism never works. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. Paula has a wonderful way of, of uh, when she talks with ladies who are involved in sexual sin, she just, she'll just say, if you only knew how valuable you were to God, if you only really knew how much he loved you, you wouldn't do this. And that's the, the way we communicate with people. We've got to tell them about the love of God, but we also have to represent Jesus as holy God. Now, I know that that's a, a difficult line sometimes to balance, but holiness, God's attribute of holiness trumps all other attributes, including love. Anonymous writes in. Oh, got a, I'm sorry. I'll wait for Anonymous in a minute. We've got somebody waiting on the phones. Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I'm still kind of tangled up about a question I asked, I think it was about a week ago, about the Holy Spirit and angels. And I was reading about in Revelation where those four creatures are worshiping God. And I'm, I'm confused. Don't we need the Holy Spirit to worship God? Because it says to worship in spirit and in truth. And I didn't know if that just meant that people worship in spirit and truth, but I can't imagine any entity or being being able to worship God without the Holy Spirit. So if you'll get me untangled, I'd appreciate it, because I've been thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I went last night to Monday night, and her oh, testimony you? was riveting. I literally had tears in my eyes through part of it, and I was so grateful that God is so gracious that, that he would change a woman's life and, and just turn her into such a beautiful person. But it really was a, an amazing um, testimony. Yeah. So I'll get off the air and, and let you answer me or untangle me. Thank you, Cindy. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, before I answer the question, you know, um, when, when I look into Yvette's face, um, because I didn't know her, in all those years, um, I see nothing but the justified, I love Jesus woman that, that she's become. And and that's the Holy Spirit that's done that, obviously, Cindy. But um, just the, the, the pain, there's so much pain in this world and people hurt so much and there's such depravity in this world. And uh, that kind of pain, only Jesus can take it away. And the, the best thing about Yvette's story last night is that that women who've been hurt are going to say, I'm not ugly. There isn't something wrong with me. It wasn't my fault. And then they can open their hearts up to the love of God and and find out that Jesus has always been there. So thank you for the 
for the validation, Cindy. Your question about the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus is, you're right, looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. But remember, Jesus is talking to humans. And we humans are born with a sin nature. We are condemned already, John chapter 3, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Said, the moment we're born, we're, we're condemned. Uh, the, we come out of our mother's womb and we begin that moment, the process of dying. Now, we don't think about that when we look at a little baby and see how cute they are and listen to the noises they make and they smell. I was playing with a, a baby in the church on Sunday before first service. And I picked him up, and he smelled so good. I looked at, at at his mom, and I said, "Don't you just love that smell?" And they both almost started crying. Said, yes, we do. Um, but but you see, that's because the stench of sin hasn't set in yet. We become less and less well that attractive. We don't smell as good. The angels, on the other hand, are God's holy angels. They don't have a sin nature. The angels in heaven uh, are not guilty of sin. They are without sin, so they don't need the Holy Spirit the way a human needs the Holy Spirit because they already are holy angels. And that's what we have to remember. Now, there's a third of the angels that became unholy when they fell, when they were deceived by Lucifer. But the angels that remain in heaven today they don't need the Holy Spirit, Cindy, because they are holy without sin, without a sin nature. Uh, they had a one-time opportunity to make a choice. Every being has to make a choice. The holy angels, those who kept their first estate, they made their choice. They remain holy. And so the need for the Holy Spirit, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, uh, is, is un- it's unnecessary because um, they already are holy. So, Cindy, I hope that untangles you a little bit. Thank you for the for the call. 340-9585, anonymous. The question I started to get to said, I would love to be able to give some of my money to the Lord, but I can't spare any right now. Does God understand? Anonymous giving is a matter of faith. Um, I think what we do, as as humans, we get so tangled up. Now, you say you would love to be able to give some of your money to the Lord because you know it's the right thing to do. But your problem is that you think of it as your money. As a New Testament Christian, everything you have belongs to the Lord. And what God wants to do is he wants to be the Lord over even your money. The way you deal with that isn't to count up all of your 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 bills and then see how much money you're going to make, and see if there's any left over. No, we give God the first fruits. That's a principle that, that runs all the way through the scriptures, Old Testament and New. So, please hear my heart here. Prayerfully consider what God wants you to give. And the best way to discover that is to say, Lord, this week we made X amount of money, whatever you made. It's all yours, so what do you want me to do with it? And he'll tell you, if you are living above your means and you're, you're not able to give because you're spending the money that you make on you instead of giving it to God, then you need to repent of that. And then the other thing you need to learn, Anonymous, is that God, well, let's just say you can't outgive him. You give God the first fruits, and I'm not talking about 10%. That's the tithe, that's Old Testament law. So just start approaching the Lord this way. Lord, we got paid today. This is how much you made. And he'll speak to your heart about how much to give. And then when you give, God will honor the heart that gives generously and cheerfully. The math won't always work out. One of the things that uh, Yvette Aguilar said last night in her Sweet Summer Devotion was that um, when she first gave her life to Christ and and uh, she, w- she was changing jobs and, and she went for a period of time without a job, she said, but God provided everything that I needed. 
God was showing off or that he could provide. What you're trying to do is figure out, Anonymous, um, can I give any money and can I spare it? So tell the Lord, I want to give you your money, Lord. How much do you want me to keep? And what do you want me to do with the rest? He'll do it. And you cannot give him. It's something you've got to learn. That's not a give to get formula. It's just simply this. God is going to teach you that if you give what is his to him, offer it all. He'll let you keep most of it, but you're going to learn that God will bless your giving. That's why I said at the beginning of this, that giving is a matter of faith. And right now your faith is in counting your money and counting your bills. And if you are so obligated that you can't give God any money, then you need to de-obligate yourself. Sit down with somebody at your church, anonymous, and ask them if they have some budget counseling. But remember that your money's not yours, it's His. As a New Testament Christians, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is our principle. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, considering all that he's done, I urge you, brothers, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. That's not just your physical body. It's everything you are, everything you ever will be, everything that you have or ever will have. It all belongs to him. And right now, Anonymous, God wants to show off for you. So, let him. Again, don't give so God will give you more. That's the wrong motive. But give because God has already given everything to you and for you. And you're going to find out how generous God really is. So I hope that helps. And remember, faith is the key. Here's a question from Anthony. He said, um, Pastor, I know God created everything. So did God also create evil? Um, Anthony, the, the answer to the question is no. Now, certainly God knew about evil. God knew that evil was going to enter in. Uh, God clearly understands evil when um, the, the brightest, most beautiful, most magnificent, all of his angels used the free will choice God gave him to rebel against him. God understands evil. God understands how that same fallen angel, we now know him as the devil, introduced evil to Eve and then to Adam and sin into the world and the human race died. Um, God didn't have to create evil. Evil was created with God's requirement that we choose to love him, we choose to serve him of our own free will. And because evil entered the world first time with Lucifer, the next time with Adam and Eve, well, then evil and the devil priming the pump, evil has been a matter of fact for the rest of our life. Evil is not a thing in the sense that it needed to be created. Evil sprung from our own free will. I used the example a little bit earlier, Anthony, of, of babies being so sweet and tender. But if you don't feed a baby, you don't change a baby's diaper, they become really demanding, don't they? I want to eat now. Um, that's selfish. They don't care anything about mom's inconvenience. They don't care anything about keeping everybody else in the house awake. Evil is part of our human nature. God didn't have to create it. Evil entered when we started making choices. And so that's the world that we live in. So God created everything that needed to be created but God, who is only good, couldn't possibly have created evil. Again, he didn't have to because evil, well, let's just say humans and Satan invented evil, created evil. 340-9585, Natalie asks, how do you respond when people say that they don't need Jesus because they are a good person? Uh, Natalie, it's the, the single most difficult objection to deal with in that you'll ever encounter. Um, 
Uh, I marvel all the time that, that sinners recognize how desperate we are for Christ. But good people think somehow they're going to stand before God. I've had men and women tell me over the years, well, I'll, when I stand before God, I'm going to tell him I was a good person, I paid my bills, I did my best, and I did way more good than evil. And the problem is, they're grading, they think God is grading on a, on a, on a scale. He's not. The Bible says there's none good, not even one. There's none righteous. There's no one who seeks after God. And what you need to do is point those people to the Word of God. And then when they object and when they're offended, and they will, they will object, they will be offended, that's when you ask them, have you ever lied? Well, of course I've lied. But nothing important. I've never murdered anybody. And, and they, they, they can go all kinds of different places with it. But here's the explanation, Natalie. God is perfect. And the requirement for heaven is perfection. I've had people look at me and say, oh, so you think you're perfect. I said, no, 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 no. I'm still working it out. But I've been made perfect by the only perfect human that's ever lived. His name was Jesus Christ. And the standard of heaven is perfection. It's the only way you're going to get in. And I've had them respond to that, Natalie, by them saying, well, well, if that's the standard of heaven, God's standards are too high. I always ask them this. Think about it. Do you want a God who's less than perfect? If you hope to spend eternity in heaven, do you want it to be less than perfect? You see, because we can't be perfect, Jesus, who was perfect, gave us his perfection. And then you pray. Don't argue with them. Just let them know what the Word says. And then pray for them. The Holy Spirit will take those seeds that you plant and he will make them grow. Very, very, very important um, message that we've got to communicate to people. We're inside five minutes. Let's see what I've got here for the next question. Jennifer um, says, if somebody says they don't believe in God, so the idea of heaven and hell doesn't apply to them, how can we answer um, Jennifer, that, that's another hard one. It's sort of related to the last question. Uh, the fact that you don't believe in something doesn't mean it's not true. And, and that's what I tell people. Look, you may not believe it, but it's true. There is a God. His name is Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. And we're going to spend eternity somewhere. You know, Jennifer, when my dad uh, first started questioning my conversion and um, you know, like a lot of parents, I think, and I'm, I was a grown man, I was almost 40 years old, but but um, uh, he just thought it was a phase I was going through, I'm sure. Um, but but one day, in a moment of real honesty, he looked at me and said, Ronnie, I guess we, we all know that there's a, an eternity out there. We're going to spend forever somewhere. And I said, Dad, knowing that instinctively is half the battle. Now you get to choose where that's going to be. Heaven, we call that being with Jesus. Hell is being separated from him. And it's the only way that we're going to get to heaven. And so when somebody says, well, I don't believe it, I'll tell them, but it's true, and I can prove it. And when they ask you how, tell them there's an empty tomb. Jesus was a real person. He really lived. He changed the world more than any human that's ever lived. He never left a, a 90 mile area of piece of ground. And yet he's changed this world more than all of the other people combined. He said he was God. Only God could do that. He said they were going to kill him. They did. He said he wasn't going to stay dead, that he was going to rise again. And he did. He said he would be alive forever. And he is. So all you have to do to disprove Christianity, to disprove the Bible, is to disprove the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you can't do it. They've been trying for 2,000 years, and it can't be done. And then just hit him one more time with it. Just because you don't believe it doesn't mean it's true. It also means that you're going to have to live with the consequences. 
of the choice you make. And then you can smile and say, I know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven because Jesus is real. So I hope that gives you a little bit of direction, Jennifer. Last question for the day. We can't do that one in two minutes. Uh, Here's one from Jeremy. I can do this one in two minutes. Why did Christians change the Sabbath uh, from Saturday to Sunday? I think this is a terrible sin. Uh, I can tell you why they changed it. Um, Jeremy, they changed it because there was a new day to celebrate. Because the Sabbath had been completed. The law was fulfilled. And the first century church, the brand new church, celebrated the resurrection on the first day of the week. Is it interesting that Saturday is the seventh day? Seven is the number of completion. Eight is the number of new beginnings. Seven plus one is eight. So the first day of the week celebrated the new beginning in life. And as Christians, that's what we've always celebrated. And, and, and the, the, the typical flaw, Jeremy, when somebody says something like this is a terrible sin, your flaw is you're not studying your Bible. You're not rightly dividing it. Who was the law given to? It was given to Jews. There's no place in this, says Jeremy. You've got to worship on the Sabbath. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus was the Sabbath rest for Christians. He still is the Sabbath rest. What that means is that the work is finished. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. The phones were quiet, but it, I hope you got some information that you needed. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.